Hello, sir, and welcome to the Jim Stroud Show. Tell us, who are you and what do you do? Hello, Mr. Stroud. Thanks for having me on your show. My name is R.L. Shaver. I um, I like to joke and say that I make a, I've made a career out of overanalyzing things. Um, I am an author. Um, I work for a software company um, and have other couple other things that I do. But uh, primarily lately, I've been focusing heavily on the book that I've written, which is For This Child I've Prayed, um, Six Heart Surgeries, 18 Months. And it's about my son. Wow. Uh, well, RL sounds like an author's name, so I know the book has to be good just based on that alone. <laughs> uh, tell us about your, your faith journey. You know, tell us about how God plays such a big part in helping you get through some very difficult times, which I'm sure uh, has broken up many a marriage um, and broken people down individually. Tell us, tell us about your faith journey, if you would. The whole faith journey or just the one in the, in the book? Just the one in the book for now. <laughs> well, you know what? Start from where you want to start. Start from where you want to start. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'll, I will start pretty young. Um, okay. Just because like some of it plays in because I, I grew up in like Southern West Virginia um, and I dealt with, um, you know, a lot of just the, the backwoods types churches and a lot, a lot of great people, mm. um, but just a lot of... Um, God's far off. And maybe they weren't meaning to, to say that, but they were definitely focused heavily on, you know, living a good life and um, not sinning and coming to church on Sunday. And none of those are bad things. But if those become your focus, it's it's not really the purpose. So I really didn't want to have much to do with my faith for a lot of my for my first couple of years of adult life in college. I kind of just did my own thing. And I had some Christian businessmen that um, I liked who they were. I liked what they were after. And I said, I want to I know what they know because they were passionate, faithful men. Mm. And um, that began my faith journey. Um, I ended up getting married in, uh, at 30 years old um, to a lovely woman named Stephanie. And we got pregnant really quick. Well, she got pregnant really quick. <laughs> Most of us know how this works. If it's not, you're probably not old enough to listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, they explain that to some people. <laughs> anyway. You don't want to distract you too much. But yeah, no, but. no I, was, I was thinking about some of the... Uh, yeah, anyway. Um, so anyway, the um, so we got... Uh, Stephanie got pregnant with Samuel. And um, it was actually really cool because like I talk about it in the book, he um, I was at finally at a good point. I'd been wanting to be married most of my life. And Stephanie and I were getting ready to have a baby. Like all of my dreams were coming true. And I was so grateful to what God had done. And I was just like, God, I, I want to honor you. And I want to know what you want to name Samuel, my son. I didn't know at the time what I was going to name him. And um, I committed to prayer. I said, God, you know, if you... Um, if you want to give me that name, I'll name him that. Anyway, so long story short, um, my poor wife had to wait until the day he was born to actually find out what the name was. She was like, have you picked out a name yet? Have you figured out what you're going to call this baby yet? I do not want him to be baby Shaver. And so finally, the the day of um, the moment that I held Samuel for the first time, I felt this warmth in my spirit and the name I've more felt than heard the name Samuel. And um, I question that a lot, but and I go into that in the book. But 
um, yeah, that's what we went with. And uh, it fits pretty well. It's been pretty cool. Now, um, we had prayed. I felt like the Holy Spirit had led me to pray for strength for him every single day. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad And I'm glad he did because, like, we found out when he was born that Samuel had two heart defects. Now, granted, at the time, we didn't think much of it. I'd been praying that he'd be safe and that he'd be strong and all this stuff. And I was like, God's got this. Everything's going to be okay. And then at two and a half, like we he, we spent a week in the hospital then, another week his first month. And then at two and a half months, um, my wife knew something was wrong. And me being a brand new dad, not nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong. Um, she took him to the to the pediatrician and um, she, she brought him home. She's like, I think I should take him down to children's. And honestly, I just hated being away from them. And I was like, babe, he's fine. He, everything's going to be okay. And she walks back in the living room. And she starts yelling because I was I was still asleep, you know. Um, she's she starts yelling. RL, he's blue. Samuel's blue, and his lips had started to turn blue. And so, yeah. Um, and so we rushed him to the to the local hospital. Um, they ended up moving him to Children's, and um, we were told at two and a half months that my two and a half when he was two and a half months old that my tiny little son they were gonna have to do open heart surgery on him and then to make matters more frightening not only were they doing open heart surgery but he was um it wasn't even going to be a permanent fix it was going to be a temporary solution they were going to put a, a tiny stitch in the valve to hold him over to be able to get old enough to be able to do a valve replacement wow. yeah merry christmas it was december wow. 6th <laughs> wow that it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that. I mean, I, I, I'm glad it's you're past all that, but at the time, that that had to be that had to give you a, a sense of overwhelming dread, dread over. I mean, you can't help but think, yeah, the, what could possibly happen? You know, yeah. how did you how did you manage to stay positive throughout all that? Did you just know um, inside that everything's going to be okay, or? Did you not know it? I mean, what were you? What were your feelings at that time? Well, um, the first thing I did was I reached reached out to my mentor at the time, and I was like, "Jake, um, Samuel is going to have to go in for open heart surgery." And he mm. sent me a, um, a couple book recommendations and a couple scripture recommendations, and he's like, "Confess these over your son. Um, get these books." It was um, redeemed, um, I think, by Kenyon. Um, redeemed, it, yeah, redeemed from the curse of um, the curse of the, the law. It was, um, gosh, I'm blanking. I should have prepped them. I talk about them in my book. I, I, so they're in, <laughs> they're in there. They're in the references. You can find them in there too. Um, and anyway, I, I got them. I dug through them. They were kind of stuff I already knew because I knew God is a, a God of healer, a God of healing, and I knew that. And um, I I didn't know at the time that everything was going to be okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I believed that everything was going to be okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. I was, I had the, I mean, the, I was scared. I really, really scared. I was overwhelmed. Yeah. I was, it was just like a bomb went off in my life. And, um, but I knew at the time that, or we just, we just kind of just, you know what happens when a bomb goes off in your life? You're, you're yeah. going in for surgery, all this stuff. You just, you can't even think about it. And one verse came to mind. Through that that whole process was um, second Chron- second Chronicles twenty I think it's twenty twenty mm-hmm. um, might not be twenty twenty but it basically talks about how when Jehoshaphat was king and three different armies came to attack Je- um, 
the kingdom of Israel, um, Jehoshaphat freaked out. And um, the prophet that was with him, I believe it was Isaiah, might have been Nathan, but I think it was Isaiah. Um, they started praying together and the Lord said, I will fight your battles for you. Mm. And um, at that point, um, you know, they had fasted and then they, God told them to send out their worshipers in the front. And so they worshiped um, on the way out. And you had, when they got to the, the front lines, it was ridiculous because all three armies were dead. They'd killed each other and they were able, they actually had to spend, I think, two or three days bringing all the plunder back from what they had brought. It's really wow. cool. Really cool. And so I took a lot of encouragement of that because I knew that it was a battle that I couldn't physically fight, but God was with me. And um, that got me through the first the first couple surgeries. He ended up having to go in at six months for a valve replacement. And then the hospital screwed something up. And at seven months, he ended up having to have the same valve replaced again. Um, wow. Yeah. After having um, multiple strokes at six six and a half months old. Um, the next phase of, of my faith battle through this all, um, I felt like the Holy Spirit steered me because at the time I was working in like a, a people business a lot and I was, I was actively building it. And uh, so I'd spend a lot of time reading like books on people skills and business skills and stuff like that. Sure. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, hey, you should go back and read this book, um, Building Your Self-Image by Josh McDowell. And so I read that one and then I read Ditch the Baggage, Change Your Life by Nancy Alcorn. And then I read um, Power Thoughts by Joyce Meyer. And those three books changed me. They took me from like a person who believed in God to a person who believed that God was for me and good. Mm. And not that I didn't believe those before, but I there's a difference between being like steeped in it mm -hmm. and like understanding it. Like, okay, okay, I believe this because God says it. No, I believe it because I've seen it. I believe it because it's I've repeated it. I've believed it because it's my mantra and I'm believing this for this. And so the um those books really changed me quite a bit in that period. And it was actually a lull between hospital visits. I think it was about five months. And we actually thought we were coming out of it all. And then November, um, Samuel had just turned a year. Um, he was a year and two months. And uh, we were told, hey, he's going back in for another open heart surgery. The valve clotted out. We've got to go <laughs> get another one in. Yeah. And uh, so we were, um, we go in for open heart surgery. And I remember driving to the hospital and it was, I used to work for an oil and gas company. I used to do SEC reserves for them. And it, we always wanted to report our reserves. We wanted to get our first submission in at like the, the week before Thanksgiving. So I had a deadline on the day of a surgery. So I had to get things done two days early and they had dumped everything on me with work. So I, yeah, I, I, I did everything I could. I finally get everything done. I've been busting my butt, staying late at work while my wife's in the hospital with my son and I'm driving to the hospital and, and like, I finally finished everything up and I just, I break, I, I just break down emotionally and I'm, right. in, I'm in rush hour traffic. If you've ever been to Pittsburgh, like it's um, like you have to go through, if you're going through downtown in rush hour, there's a tunnel and then there's a bridge and the bridge splits off in two separate directions. And then there's all these feeder roads that come into it. It is, it is pandemonium. Um, I, I like to joke around that the, the engineer who designed that has a special place in hell. 
<laughs> but yeah, the uh, so I'm I am sobbing like I am yeah guttural just you know sobbing because I'm there's been so much stress with work and my son is going back in for surgery when we thought things were done and um, I remember just feeling this prompting that I should just worship and I turned on mm. Hills I turned on Hillsong and um, mm. I just love is love is war um came on and i think it was love is war um anyway the refrain of of the of the song i just kept singing over and over which says your love's amazing it fills my heart and i cry out there is nothing like you there is none there is none like you there is nothing like our god or like your love's amazing and it just keeps repeating and i just remember singing that and i was when I first started singing it, I just was felt this huge heaviness. Like I could barely move my lips and I'm trying to see the radio to sing. Cause there's the tears are so thick. And I remember as I'm singing that fighter spirit in me just starts to rise up. And I just start to say, you wow. know what? I'm going to worship God in the midst of my struggle. I'm going to worship God in the face of Satan. I'm going to worship God and say, listen, Satan, I know you think you've got this. And I know you think because my son's going in for open heart surgery that you've got another chance to destroy him or destroy us. But no, my God's good. His love is good. And we're going to make it through. And um, wow. Yeah, sorry. Wow. <laughs> I just start rambling. <laughs> no, 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 no. That is good. So at this point, this is after this is surgery number four is when right, you were going four. through this. Yeah. Yeah. This, I'm thinking of my head as you saying this, you know. It's like when you uh, when your son went into uh, surgery the first time, you had a level of faith at that point. Maybe you were dismissing it. Maybe you just sort of wishful thinking, but you didn't really know what was going on. And then you get through that. Then you got your second operation. And now you're going on to your fourth one. As you're saying, I was thinking about Job and how he was, you know, just sitting somewhere, everything was great. And then back to back stuff just started happening one right after the other. And it's like, everybody was looking at him like, well, what did you do? <laughs> you know? And he's like, I didn't do anything. I, I, I just live my life, you know? And so when you're saying that, I, I can imagine, I don't know, did anybody ever look at you like, dude, what did you do? <laughs> did anyone try to point the finger at you or your wife or something? I know some people try to do that at times. we we thankfully didn't get that um okay good i'm six foot uh three four oh okay. uh, yeah, well there you go <laughs> so people are probably gonna most people don't don't run their mouth a whole lot around me because <laughs> you know what i mean i get it i get it, I get um it. yeah most people don't run their mouth around me so i don't get a lot of stupid comments and to be honest like at the time um mm. Most of the people I'd surrounded myself with weren't really saying stuff like that. Um, if anything, the people that I probably had to deal the most with were the people who would, who just tried to discount God's promises and say, well, yeah. this promise is only for this person or this promise is only for, you know, the people of Israel, if they obey every single law. And um, that was actually the biggest faith struggle because mm. I was, I was trying to figure out like, Okay, what about the promise of God's healing? What about the promise in Deuteronomy 28? What about the promises in Psalms, Proverbs? What about the promises for, you know, for all these things? Are these promises for me? Are they, are these my promises? Do I have access? Hmm. 
And that was actually the crux of where my faith journey was in this, like through this process was like, do these promises apply to me? Wow. And it was actually, it was actually around this time in the story when, um, you know, God told me this was cool. Do you, you mind if I share this real quick? Please, please. Okay. Um, the morning after I had driven um, through the hospital, through all this crying, I was like, okay, got the emotions out. I'm ready to step back up and fight. And I'm, I'm praying on the way to work and I'm saying my, my daily confessions and I get to um, God fights my battles for me. And the Holy Spirit stopped me and he said, no, you're going to fight this battle. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, really, all it is, is just it's it's a faith battle because there's a big difference between faith of like, I think this is going to happen. I'm trusting God that's going to happen to the faith of like. You know, you can't see the bridge, but you're going to run it out on it to the faith of saying, hey, listen, there's not only is do I not see the bridge, but there's also a giant that I think is going to destroy me. And I'm going to chase after it and say, no, my God's bigger, just like David did, you wow. know, and it's that saying that, hey, listen, I don't care what's coming in my way. I don't care who's coming after me. I don't care uh, what's happening. God's promises are true. And the crux confession that I said the whole time was Psalm 112, 2. Um, the children of the righteous will grow mighty in the land. And I had switched, I had not switched it, but I had just adapted it to say, you know, combining it with promises from Deuteronomy in 28 and other promises to say, you know, my son will live long in the land and grow strong in the land. And I confess that over my children to this day. And every time that I would have a vision of him not making it, or I would have a vision of him like being at being at his funeral and every time I would have a vision of something or I would, that, that fear would creep in and I would be overwhelmed by it. Or every time a doctor would give us bad news or like he, there was a time when he was literally, he had grown so thin and so gaunt from mm. heart problems that he wasn't even able to process milk. And like, he was, he was passing through what looked like cottage cheese. Like he just, he was in such a bad shape at that point. But you know what? At that time and every single time I confessed, my son will live long in the land and grow strong in the land. And it was my confession to myself. It was my confession to every spiritual power out there. And it was my confession to God that, hey, listen, God, you're, you've promised this and I'm not going to let it go. I'm not going to let it go. You know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Wow. It's like... Every operation that your son successfully made it through marked a new level of faith uh, for you, it seems like. Did it feel that way to you? Because that's what it seems like to me listening to your story. 100%. Wow. 100%. I remember coming. Uh, the, the, the turnaround that I had in understanding God's promises was when um, my pastor, actually, at Allison Park Church, Jeff Leake, um, had did a sermon and he pulled out a verse in Corinthians that I didn't know anything about. Um, I just hadn't caught it. And it says that um, in basically in Jesus, in Christ, all promises are yes and amen. And that was that was the one that got me because I was like, this is what I've been looking for. I knew it. I knew it because I knew that God's promises, God's good. God's a good God. And I'm like, if his promises for the Old Testament were good, which they were, then and Jesus' sacrifice is better than the sacrifice of goats and lambs sure. and animals and all that stuff, then 
I know this this must be better. But if it's better, then why are the promises of the Old Testament there, but you don't see them in the New Testament? Like, what's going on here? And then I realized that, you know, Jesus said he he doesn't come to take away any of any of the promises. Like, I didn't come to take any away the scripture. I didn't come to take, come, take, come to take away anything. None of it will pass away until this world passes away. And so, but it was that verse that made me realize that God's promises were good and true for me and for everybody else. And so I got excited at that point. And it was actually that surgery where I started to feel like we could relax. Like Samu got through the surgery. And I remember having Thanksgiving in the hospital. And like my brother came over and we had my son Isaiah with us because he lives with his mom. And um, we were playing Wii Bowling in the hospital um, in the hospital room while Samuel recovered one night, you know. And um I remember thinking that was it. Well, I remember thinking that, okay, I don't know what's what's going on. I remember December of that that year being crazy. We were at the hospital. We ran to the emergency room because that was the other component. He had SVT, which was the other thing. So SVT. every time... It was SVT. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I get excited. Um, SVT stands for supraventricular tachycardia, which basically means that his heart's racing too fast. Oh, wow. So that was the problem with the, that problem. With the valve problem, neither of those problems are necessarily a problem in and of themselves. Like typically with a valve, like had he not had SVT, he probably would have had a first surgery and a second surgery. We'd be done. Had he just had SVT, we probably would have been on medications and had to watch some stuff, but we would have never had surgeries or at least not for a long time. And we definitely wouldn't have had to watch it so much, but when his heart would race, um, it just wouldn't flow blood very well. And so when blood doesn't flow very well and you're, you have a mechanical valve, um, if blood doesn't flow very well, then it doesn't, it starts to, to clot. Think of like, if you get cut open and you know, it's the blood stops flowing, it starts to clot and that causes a problem. Well, there's a really bad clotting problem already with mechanical valves. So they had to, um, to really keep his medications solid in this process to keep him from being an SVT, but he was such a stubborn case. I don't know where he gets it from. Um, <laughs> um, he was such a stubborn case with both of the issues that they just, we were constantly running back and forth the emergency room. So in December of that year, we were, we were at the emergency room three times um, trying to get this done. And they were like, listen, we're just going to go and try to do an ablation surgery. They did two within a week. Um, we thought we got it, didn't, um, ended up having to go back in, uh, having to get another, uh, actually, no, that surgery was just that they did one surgery to, to do an ablation because they wanted to do a surgical ablation because it was so bad. They spent 12 hours the first time with a cath ablation, like 12 hours or 14 hours or something like that in a cath lab with a one-year-old, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's crazy. Um, but and I remember we're, we're still at operation number four at this point, right? Yeah, that was four. And then they did the cath lab. Um, they did a cath lab and then they cut him open to do a surgical ablation. That was number five. And then we think we were thinking we came into January and I was starting to try to like I was starting to try to recover. Uh, Missed my buddy's wedding because I was just like I wanted to go to a conference to spend some time with some people because I was like, my son's still in the hospital. I need to ground some men, men of faith. I don't want to party or go to a wedding. And I love sure. you, Randy, but I'm sorry, bud. Um, so, but I remember coming out of that thinking, we're done. This is good. 
and I started planning for it. And, um, that like just after my birthday, um, he went back in SVT and I was like, all right, we're, we're back in the fight. And I remember being upset, but then I remember writing and saying, I remember a new step of faith going, I don't care if I have to fight my whole life. If I have to fight, if I have to get the crap kicked out of me the rest of my life, I don't care. I'm going to continue to fight this fight and we're going to win it. And he's going to be okay. And he's going to live long in the land and grow strong in the land. And, um, it was actually really cool. I remember sitting on my patio, um, smoking a cigar cause I was just taking a break, mm. um, in March. And, uh, I remember feeling a stirring in my spirit. And I felt like the Holy spirit told me, Hey, um, a wind of change is coming. Like a, a breeze blew past and I felt like the Holy spirit popped up and said that and I was like, okay. And I felt like everything was just going to clear up. So the next day, Samuel got really sick. Um, clotted out another valve. We had to rush and do emergency surgery and, um, he recovered. And then that was it. Wow. Wow. Uh, we're going to have to pause here for a commercial break, but before we do, uh, in these last, uh, 30 seconds or so, if you would, I know someone's watching this right now and mm -hmm. they have children that are suffering and I'm sure they could use a bit of prayer for someone who's been there. If you could take these next 30 seconds and send up a nice word for them before we go to commercial break, uh, I'd appreciate that. Prayer or, just, prayer or just a statement? A uh, bit of both, actually. Okay. Well, first of all, like, if anybody's going through stuff, my heart goes out to you from one dad to another parent. I've been there. Um, I know how traumatic it is. And um, God's word's true, and God's word's good, and he wants to heal us. And... Um, it's not us, it's him. But just as a prayer for anybody who's going through stuff, and um, yeah, <laughs> God, thank you so much for um, this podcast and the message and the ability to be able to get your word out and who you are out and really to give a clear example of that. But God, I ask that people have ears to hear and that they understand that you, God, are healer and that you, God, are more powerful and more potent than anything else. And God, I ask that you heal the people, every single person that's listening to this that has that either themselves or their children are going through stuff. God, I ask that you heal them, not because of my words, God, but because of your word. Because God, I know that you love those who stand on your word and you love it when you remind you of it. So God, I'm reminding you that you have promised us healing and I ask that you bring it in your son, Jesus name. Amen. Amen. The Jim Stroud Show will return after these messages. This episode of The Jim Stroud Show brought to you by Conservative Television of America, working hard to stick socialism where the sun don't shine. Conservative Television of America is now available on Fire TV Stick, Roku, and on the Conservative Television of America website. Tune in now at www.ctva.tv. Conservative Television of America, we say what you're thinking. The Jim Stroud Show is back. Thanks for watching. And we're back with Ariel Shaver, who has just been telling us about his uh, trials and triumphs uh, with his child going through six surgeries in the first 18 months. I, I got to know, how is Samuel doing today? 
He's uh he's running around at my parents' farm right now at this moment. Yes. He's seven. Um, he played basketball this past year, and um, I think he did more dancing than basketball. <laughs> <laughs> he was break dancing on the court, but like during during the game, I'm like Samuel, this is not how you play basketball. <laughs> but actually, on the covers, I did two covers. This was okay. one. Um, this was one that a buddy of mine drew up, and. Uh, mm. It was actually off of a picture from stuff. And 316, March 16 was actually the um the last surgery. But I this cover it was the original one that I wanted, mainly because this is him at four. Um, okay. And I just wanted people to know from the beginning that hey, listen, yeah, this was a crazy battle, but he's good. And he is good. He's um he was developmentally delayed a little bit just because you know he didn't crawl until he sure. was probably 14 months. Um he didn't walk until he was like 20 months, um, you know, and there were some speech delays and stuff like that. And they say, you know, sometimes they have problems with certain things, but, you know, my God's healer. My son's going to be good. Um, and he is an amazing kid. Um, it's so cool to see like him. He's kind and he's loud and he <laughs> cares about people. And uh, he like, like I said, he really does like to dance. Um, this kid, we were playing Monopoly on the Wii and with my parents, and he was up dancing to the Monopoly music. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Who, um, who do you think will benefit most from your book? Uh, is it just for a Christian audience, or can anyone um, get something you know, from it? You know, I think anybody who um, – I really wanted to aim for a pretty wide spread, um, but I wanted to deal with – I wanted to hit people who – you know, maybe question God's goodness because they've been told, well, God doesn't do this or God, God's this or, you know, whatever. I wanted to hit people who are struggling with, does God heal? Does God still show up? And whether they're dealing with, you know, a child with something like major medical trauma or they're just trying to say, hey, you know, God says he wants to prosper me and I'm I'm not there. I'm struggling like because God promises true. Um, you know, I, I don't have friends or I don't have, um, you know, I'm, I'm worried about what's like, I'm worried about what's going on in the government. Does God's promises still apply? You know, I wanted to hit those things and I wanted to hit all that stuff to just say like that God's promises are good and they override anything that you see that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's, that's good to hear because there's a lot going on uh these days it's i am glad that i'm not a child in this generation i'm glad that my children are uh my child is is grown and out the house um yeah but it's it is really challenging to be a parent these days so much is going on um in terms of it, what what seems like to me like again i don't have a, a child in school right now but it seems like there is a real attack against children in our society, um, there's this this um, this strategy to sexualize mm -hmm. our children at such a young age. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if, you, if you've heard about this, but there is a movement to try to rebrand pedophilia and, and make it make it normal. Yeah. Um, I think they're trying to call it um, minor attraction, where you're attracted to minors. Or they, I think I, I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Um, sexual minor attraction, something like that, which is a fancy way of saying pedophile. 
you know, right. and to try to make it seem like it's just, it's just a normal thing and that we should get past um, traditional way of thinking, you know, and I, I see that and I see, um, I've heard other news stories where uh, the type of books in education that, that school systems are pushing on children at such a young age to talk about sexuality when their brains aren't even fully formed yet. You know, it, it really seems insidious to me in a lot of ways. What's your What's your perspective on that? Do you think children are really in danger or am I making too much out of it? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, to be honest, I feel like, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like you're 100% spot on. And um, I was having this discussion because like S- Stephen King, I don't even know if it was recently or if it was back, but he basically said some statement like uh, along the lines of somebody's trying to ban a book you should go out and immediately buy it. And, you know, there's a, I love books. Uh, it's one of the reasons I wanted to write one. Um, you know, I have a, I like books a lot, but as an adult, not as a child, but as an adult, I've started to realize that like the inputs that you put in your brain are very important. And when you get those and your ability to parse those out between truth and fiction, it changes from time, like for, at different ages. And they're trying to put, sexual pornography in books in elementary and junior high kids books. And I had, um, had a person, I don't th- I think they just weren't informed, but they were trying to say, well, it's no worse than you see in video games. If there's a video game that has that, you can't get that video game. Like they don't make them in the States or sell them in the States because like to talk, to have, to talk, to have explicit homosexual encounters where they talk about ejaculation, like let's like, Stuff that they would kick you out of a school. Like there's people who've been kicked out of school board readings for reading the books out loud that are in their kids' libraries. Yep. And I'm like, I am sorry, but a kid is not ready to handle what that is at that age. I like somebody said what Corey Ten Boom had said um, when she asked her dad or her granddad, um, like when it comes to, she asked what sex sin was and she was young. She was probably around Samuel's age. And um, he basically he basically told her, listen, you aren't ready. This is some things are just too heavy for you to carry right now. And this is one of those things that's too heavy for you to carry. Kids don't need to be learning about this stuff. Their bodies aren't ready for it. Um, They're not ready to handle this type of stuff. And you know what? I like what I saw one man in the school board say one man in the school board basically said, listen, I've shown what you are allowing in our libraries to a judge. And you can either resign or you'll be arrested tomorrow. And that's the stuff that needs to happen. Because if you show pornography to your kids, it's child abuse. So if a school's allowing it, it's child abuse. And they need to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Yes. Yes. A thousand times, yes. It's going to take um, more people standing up uh, to this evil, which is, I think, the best word for it, uh, for this stuff to, to go away. Which really makes me angry. I call myself, I find myself more and more calling myself apolitical, meaning that I'm not really aligned with any one particular political party. Um, I'm, I tend to vote Republican more than anything else, <clears throat> but I'm not a raving fan of the Republican Party, although some may, may think that I am. What keeps me from being a raving fan is that. I may disagree with a lot of what I see on the left from the Democrat uh, side of the house. Mm-hmm. But they are passionate. They are focused. Mm-hmm. They have a fight in them. 
And whether I agree with all of whether I agree with them or not, they say what they mean, mean what they say, and they're going for it, right? They're unified too. And they're unified, yes. Yes, you can't take that away from the Demo the left democratic side of things. They are very unified. On the Republican side, I don't see that same passion. I don't see that same level of fight. I see it in a few people um, mm-hmm. that I see on the left. And they're usually repeated um, ad infinitum in, in the in the media. So I see a few strong firebrands on the right side really fighting mm-hmm. uh, for the things they say they believe in. But mm-hmm. I don't see a majority yeah. of Republicans fighting against what the what the left say that, that they believe in. And because of that, I don't really feel all that enthusiastic mm-hmm. about the Republican Party. Um, but I, I, I wonder if it's they're taking this posture of vote for us because we're not them. I need something more than that. If I'm going to feel good, if I'm going to rally to your cause, if I'm going to promote you in, in, in some kind of way, I, if you're running for office, I need to hear something more than I'm not them. I need to hear what you're standing for. I need, I need to know what you believe in. I need to see, most importantly for me, mm-hmm. I need to see a track record. Mm-hmm. I need to be able to look up a voting record and see that you have been consistent. And you're mm-hmm. not just saying whatever you're saying today because it's it's hip and cool and it'll get you some votes. You know, because I think that's the worst thing to vote for somebody who says one thing and then when they get in the office, they do something totally different. Yeah. You know? And I'm looking at like the mayor of New York, <laughs> for example. Uh, but uh, I'm going on a tangent. What, what, what do you think about that? How do you feel about the Republican <laughs> Party? Do you feel that you are more on the right or the left? I, I don't know if we're if you want oh, to I'm a strong, I'm a strong leftist for sure. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, I get that from your book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, I would, pr- I would probably, if I had to take on a label, I'd probably take um, and say that I'm a libertarian. Um, okay. I used to be pretty like what I'd call conservative, and then I realized that like, you know, the the libertarians, and I wouldn't even, I don't vote libertarian to be honest, mm-hmm. like. Let me let me say some some because I know you like shock and all. I think <laughs> I think the best libertarian presidential candidate we had, and we um, and president that we've had was President Trump. I yeah. not like most people wouldn't label him a libertarian, and I wouldn't label him a libertarian if you heard him talk. Mm-hmm. But when I look at his voting record, and I see how he handled things, I see a cons- consistent push towards individual liberty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you were talking about the Democratic Party, and um, I had some people, I had some mentors, um, same business team that that taught me about three spiritual principles, um, three spiritual powers, and they were unity, submission, and the power of the spoken word. And what I see in the Democratic Party is those things being employed incredibly. Like, if you look at the Democratic Party, like this has been going on for years. Sure. Like, they don't let them vote outside of party lines. Like, I'm sorry, you don't see rank and file Democrats, no matter how much they disagree with something, voting against it. You see very few that vote against stuff. And if they do, then they come back in on stuff that's pretty egregious and vote left. You know what I mean? Like, look yeah. at Manchin. Yeah, Manchin will say, oh, I'm, I'm going to stand up to this one because he knows he can't you know, whatever, but then you see him voting in for candidates that for um, the Supreme Court that 
are going to undo everything that he's done with his voting record. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. Um, and you see a lot of, you see a lot of that. You see them um, working in submission because like, you can't be unified in, the, in their cases without submitting to the higher powers, you know, um, almost to an abusive extent. I mean, you look at how their primaries are set up where there's like, you know what? You, Jim, have a vote and I have a vote if I'm a Democrat. But if I'm a super delegate, I have, a, what, 10,000 votes for right. my one? You know, right. like that's that's for people who promote democracy. That seems like classism to me. Hmm. Hmm. Doesn't hmm. seem like that. That's where they're heading towards at all. Hmm. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's all, all good points. And even in saying this, I, I want to be careful not to not to uh, brush off of what to say. I, I don't want to label everyone with a big brush because I know that. Right. I know personally a lot of Democrats who are very passionate about the party, but um, and so I don't I don't disparage anybody for right. you know any political affiliation. No, not um, at all. But no, I it, think that there are times though, if you were to say, "This, do you believe in um, A, B, and C?" and you take all labels off of it, mm -hmm. more often than not, people tend to agree with the more traditional conservative view of things. Yeah. But when you say, OK, since you believe these conservative, you have these conservative values, mm -hmm. then that traditionally means that you are a Republican. And they'll say no, because the branding around the Republican uh, name is so vile, especially in, in the African-American community, that right. there's like, no, no, I'm Democrat. I'm not one of those racist Republicans or whatever, how they tar and feather that that label. Right. But you take all the labels off of and ask them straight on the issues. Mm -hmm. More often than not, they tend to vote. They tend to feel conservative, but because they feel, and this is something that's drummed into uh, uh, the African American community. I grew up with it. That right. you vote if you're black, you vote Democrat. Right. And if you don't vote Democrat, then, as Biden once famously said, you ain't black. And a lot of people take that to heart, and that is the programming that has gone on. Um, so you have that, and then you have people who, frankly, just have a life. And they don't have the time to research the different issues. They're not right. watching 100 programs to get you know details from different viewpoints. Yeah, it's it makes it really interesting. And yeah. when we have um, these midterm elections coming up, mm -hmm. I think that's going to be historical in a lot of ways. I think it's going to force people to vote beyond party affiliation and just look at who's in power. How's my life like? Do I want this to continue? If not. I'm going to vote the other way. I may have to hold my nose and vote the other way, but mm -hmm. I think things have gotten to a point and will progress to get a bit worse that people mm -hmm. are going to vote beyond political affiliation. That was a long rant. <laughs> what do you, what do you it, think about it? It was a good one, man. It was a good one. <laughs> you know, growing up, um, growing up in Southern West Virginia, I grew up in Southern West Virginia and it was very union country. And for the longest time, um, it was it was very similar to the um, impoverished black community in that, you know, unions beat into union uh, Democrats were Democrat equals union Democrats equal um, union, meaning that you get you continue to get paid, you continue to get workers rights and you get a lot of stuff, you know, um, and it worked out so well for them that they ended up killing the industry that the union was on it was coal. Yeah. You know, um, 
because you know they've got your rights. You don't have a job, but they've got your rights. Um, and that could be taken a lot of ways. And and I appreciate, I very much appreciate Jim that you were pointing out that like it's not all Democrats. Like I have Democrat friends as well. Unfortunately, nowadays I feel like the rhetoric in the news media has gotten so bad that it's, it's so hard to have conversations with them about anything. Oh yeah. Uh, which is which is sad because when I went to college, you know, it was drummed in our heads we should. This was back in two thousand one, two thousand five. Uh, it was drummed in our heads that we should be open to ideas and we should be able to open to debate rather than calling a person, you know, a racist so you don't have to listen to their opinions because, yep. you know, because you don't have a good enough opinion on your own without the news media being there to feed you to actually think on your own. That's a separate, that's a separate point. But <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, like, I don't think that most people who vote Democrat in any way, shape or form are bad people. They are people who, Not at all. we all want the same things. We want good things for our country, we want good things for ourselves, and we want good things for the people we care about. And we want good things for others. It's just what happens is one side says you're a racist if you vote this way, um, rather than saying, hey, listen, this is bad because of this. And then the other party just doesn't get a doesn't actually speak up enough, <laughs> but they also don't yeah. get a voice. Um, right. It's know, like each side is on the other side. You're evil, you right? Know? And that's what drives me nuts. I, I tell, I say one thing. I, I say to myself a lot is that there's no one party that is totally perfect or right. Um, mm -hmm. But like a bird, you need a left wing and a right wing to fly. You know? Yeah. You need that. And uh, and I, I don't think we have enough of the bipartisanship that we've had in the past. I, I, I'm, yeah. Historically, I think what Ronald Reagan, uh, Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill, mm -hmm. two, two different sides of the political spectrum, but they were mm -hmm. able to sit down, have a beer and get stuff done. Right. We don't have that spirit nowadays. It's us versus them. And if we had to burn down the whole country, you know, one side's going to win. It's, it's crazy. Well, and the good thing, the good thing I will say this, Jim, um, the thing that I've been consistently seeing, um, and there's some good things that have come out of the, the COVID lockdowns um, in that most people are just waking up to realize that um, the parties that are pushing this tyranny, which is what it is, is tyranny, yep. um, are not for you. They're not, they, they may claim that they're for this or if they're for that, but they're not. And the people were seeing that. Um, and I've seen people who have had zero political interest. When I used to beat political drums for years through my 20s and early 30s, and I would say, listen, you know, this is really important because you need to understand what your constitutional rights are. You need to understand individual liberty. You need to understand what our founding fathers tried to put together here. It's not a slavery of culture. The whole world had a slavery or a culture of slavery. The whole world had a culture of slavery. Here yep. they, which is, you know, they're pushing that in schools now. The I think it's the 1517 project or whatever. But the reason people came here was because you they wanted to give you the, the ability to govern yourself, to think for yourself, to push for things for yourself. And to be able to have the right to say and do these things. And that's what constitutional rights are all about, is the ability for you to govern yourself. Um, yeah. Most yeah. definitely. Most definitely. Most definitely. Uh, this has been a fascinating conversation. 
Yeah. Uh, gone over some directions I wasn't expecting, but that's good. <laughs> we, we, um, I'm not able to hold my own on, on things like you have, Jim. I mean, I, I, I check out a lot of your stuff on your page and you have a lot of, a lot of good stuff and a lot of very intelligent ideas. Um, it's so cool to hear you like to see the way you tease things out and then you pull like some really intellectual conversations out of the stuff because we need to be able to think through stuff and say, Hey, let's look at both sides. Let's take the emotion out of it and just look and say, what is going on here? What is going on in here? What's going on behind the scenes and how does this affect me? And how does this affect my kid's future? You uh, know, thanks for the compliment. That's $20. I owe you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you got me a couple ones. So I think I'm, I, think <laughs> I owe you 40 now. You owe me a couple. <laughs> well, my, my long-term hope is that people will see that it's not a, left versus right or or right. it's not it's not racism i i really think it's cult, i really think it's elitism uh, it's yes. it's uh rich versus poor not necessarily black versus white but that's a whole nother conversation and we're out of time if someone wanted to get in contact with you uh to mm -hmm. learn more about uh you and your books uh where could they find you um they can find me at www.rlshaver.com so like just like in the link right here or just like in the name right here rl shaver without the periods um, and then you can also, um, my book's out on Amazon. You can grab it there. Um, you can, all my contact information is on there. I, you know, there's a form to contact me and I can get in touch with you if you need anything. Even if it's just like, Hey, I want you to pray for me. My kid's going through stuff. I, I like fighting in, in faith in for, in, for anyway, you know what I'm saying? In faith and prayer for people, because I know that, um, we're all, it's this unifying thing, you know? Sure, sure, sure. Well, you've been through the uh, the battleground and you came out victorious. So, uh, my best to you, your wife, and definitely to Samuel. Yeah. Uh, tell them all I said hello. <laughs> I will. I will. And my best to, to you and your listening audience. I'm I'm honored to be a part of of uh, all you're putting together and just to be able to have a voice. It's amazing. Sure, sure, sure. Thanks again for your time. Thanks, Jim. Well, my time is up. I thank you for yours. I'll see you again real soon right here with a brand new episode. So until next time, bye-bye.